say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? This hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in, Hysteria Nation, to the podcast whose hosts read a lot of books, but I can't say the same for the head researcher. This is Hysteria 51. Shot across the bow this early. Okay, I see how today's going to go. I mean, am I wrong? You are not wrong. You are just an asshole. <laughs> like, like, he must stole that line somewhere. We are broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago, and we are your hosts and lead singers in this punk rock trek through ufology. I'm John Goforth, and this is Brent Hand. Oh, punk rock ufology, that's an, uh, a perfect setup because we do have an exciting guest today. Author Mike DeMonte, we're going to get more into that, but Mike has written three books in a series titled Punk Rock and UFOs. I prefer gangster rap when I am in a UFO. You have never been in a UFO. It just means unidentified. But to answer the question your simple brain meant to ask, yes, I've been in many alien spacecraft, and the soundtrack isn't dissimilar to the soundtrack to Above the Rim. <laughs> Regulators, mount up up up. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Brent. Uh, I guess I should mention the robots are back. Um, I did not have a long enough break from them. No. And I am sad as a human being. You and me both. Quickly, if you aren't familiar, the first voice you heard is the third host of the show and definitely has not been on an alien spacecraft. His name is Conspiracy Bot. Fine. Lie to the people. Okay. I'm moving on. The higher pitched voice is Conspiracy Bot's robot minion. His name is Kyle. He likes cheese muffins and uh, apparently Nate Dog as well. And Warren GGG too. Cheese muffins. <laughs> I'm guessing he <laughs> broke into my storage shed. I have a I have a book full of old CDs in there. Remember when you just drive and that was all you had is like 500 CDs in your lap? You uh, you you actually had I mean you had like 15 visor CD holders and it was like, Ooh, which one am I going to bring today? <laughs> do I want the, uh, do, do I want the monster jams or do I want the uh, gangster rap? I'm you not know what? Sure. I'm feeling saucy today. <laughs> <laughs> bring me my, yeah. Insert whatever genre, the, the soup du jour of visor, man. Why did every visor of nineties cars sag? I don't know, man. We'll never know. We'll never, we'll never know. You <laughs> can't, can't explain it. It's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, when my, uh, rear view mirror fell off, who knows? It certainly wasn't anything hanging from it. You guys are both idiots. I've just been schooling him on the finer points of music, mostly from music's best decade, the nineties. Wow. Wow. I strong. I, yeah. Those are strong. Those are fighting words to some. <laughs> All right. Anyway, ignoring that. But uh, today's topic, Brent, does bring up an interesting debate. If you are about to take a spin around this pale blue dot, uh, uh, ostensibly in an alien spacecraft, even what would your soundtrack be? Is it a specific artist? Is it uh, you know a specific like playlist, uh, a genre of music? What is it? Oh man! Like I mean, I think you got to go like fucking fog hat. <laughs> <laughs> that was slow ride right slow ride was that fog hat take it easy uh, uh is is that fog hat uh listeners you're gonna kill us fog hat uh, slow ride i was right i had to google it yeah man 
Uh, you just you got to go to the. Stars it's like if it was a song on the Dazed and Confused soundtrack, I get it confused with other songs that were on the Dazed and Confused soundtrack, which I'm sure was in most visors. <laughs> Bringing it full circle, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, what's yours? You, you know, you you teed me up. Did you have one that was in mind? I, you know, I I hate to agree with anything conspiracy bot says, but man, some some '90s gangster rap would be right there for me. Like, you know, picture me rolling. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're staring out the out the window or the portal or the uh, whatever it is, uh, staring down at the earth, and you know, you got some Tupac in the background or. Or a little, a little uh, Snoop Dogg. I mean, I, I, you know, it, it's like when you were sixteen, and you're rolling around uh, 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 the neighborhood, feeling like you're just the coolest guy in, in the world because you know you were driving, and you know you're playing that music in the background. Like, yeah, that's what's up. Yep, that's what's up. In your 1983 like, you, two door Buick Regal, maroon. Well, that's exactly what I was driving with a maroon magic interior and a non bolted down bazooka tube in the trunk. <laughs> Ultra. Oh, don't forget the Pioneer six by nines in the back. Oh shit! Oh, and man. yeah, but the point being, like, if I was literally in a UFO, getting to look down on the world like that, I would have that sixteen-year-old John Goforth feeling of driving around, bumping my head, like, yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> well, you know, you you that's a that's an also an interesting choice because you went that way, and I the funny part is because rock and roll, and when we're going to talk about this with his books and everything, but rock and roll and and, and Aliens kind of go together hand in hand from, you know, you look back in the day, you can think of like Journey album covers to the androgynous alien himself, David Bowie, Aliens and music has kind of gone hand in hand for a long time. Ground control to Major Tom. And if you've, you've probably heard Majungus on the show, a rock band that just sings about alien topics, those kind of bands exist out there. And in fact, Stay uh, to the end of the show, and you're going to hear some awesome Majungus tunes uh, at the end of this one. So that's in store for all of you. I mean, we just got rock and roll all over the fucking place in this one. Don't forget there is a certain punk rock band that has a loose affiliation with the uh, uh, the world of ufology. Well, uh, I don't know how loose. I'd say it's pretty damn fucking rock solid. <laughs> Boy, well, that, that was... Uh, yeah, that was understate uh, uh, understatement. <laughs> that was uh, uh, a little sarcasm. Well, I guess um, you could say I, too, because I mean, we got Blink One Eighty Two and Angels and Airwaves. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's true. I mean, but but aliens exist. You know, I mean, it, there it was. Hey, they should write a song <laughs> about that. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, and you speaking of rock and roll and all that shit, the perfect soup du jour of rock and roll and aliens is the fucking 81 movie heavy metal you remember that fucking masterpiece and i do not say that in any way shape or form that's funny i love that movie i don't remember it and the reason i don't remember it has nothing to do with the number of times i've seen it because i've seen it five six seven times i was just high as hell every time (laughs) (laughs) man it is awesome it is this this sci-fi sci-fi meets fantasy it's a canadian it's it's early 80s it's produced by ivan reitman and the dude who who came up with heavy metal magazine it's got a huge list of voices from john candy and joe flaherty uh eugene levy harold ramus tons of people and it's just this anthology of very science fiction and fantasy stories taken from heavy metal magazine but the soundtrack is fucking crazy sammy hagar devo Blue Oyster Cult, Cheap Trick, Don Felder, Nazareth, Journey, of course, 
uh, <laughs> they could have just used their sound, you know, their covers of their albums for Steve half of them. Steve Perry. Grand Funk Railroad. Steve Perry. Uh, Black Sabbath, Stevie Nicks. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, you mentioned Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, I, Brent, in college, I don't know if you're with me or not, but uh, there was a festival in this neighboring small town to our the town that we went to undergrad in, uh, which was Carbondale, Illinois. The the neighboring town was Heron, and they had Heron a Festa Italiana. Heron Festa Italiana. No, and one year Heron Festa. One, Heron, say it right. Okay, Heron uh, just, Festa. You know, let Italiana. me tell a damn story for once. Get it right, or I'm going inter- to. I, I got. I don't want you lying to the people. <laughs> mm, uh, Heron Italiana Festa. Jesus. There, happy? No, uh, but keep going. <laughs> if you make it just bad enough, he gives up. <laughs> well, then, uh, At well, least that's what his sorry, wife, that's what no his wife more, said. I don't there's know. No more hysteria 51. No, keep going. Um, the they they were we were we were we were excited, uh, because a big band, quote unquote, was was coming to town, Blue Oyster Cult, mm-hmm. and in the in the ad, and we did go. Um, asterisk. Uh, in, in the ad, there was an asterisk. No original members of Blue Oyster Cult. Hey, I it's bought like, this name know. for thirty seven hundred dollars. You can't tell me. Well, I it's, can't it's like it. you know, eventually, like it was just the drummer. Then he died, or yeah. you know, moved on to something else. And then just like some holding company somewhere is like, okay, well, let's find some new musicians. The seasons and don't for the record, the Reaper. But our lawyers do. He's coming for copyright. I don't even know what I'm saying. For the record, they played Don't Fear the Reaper to open, and they played Don't Fear the Reaper to close. (laughs) That's some 38 special level bullshit right there. Give give the people what they want, Brent. That's what I always say. That's why you should edit out less of me. Cheese muffins. <laughs> exactly. All right, getting back on track. Uh, we, you know, we were talking about heavy metal. We we're talking about this, but the reason we're talking about rock and roll and aliens is the man of the hour. We got Mike Demonte coming on after the first break. But Mike has a new book out: Punk Rock and UFOs, Stranger Than Fiction. And this is not his first dive into the world of the word. He lives in it. Literally, he's is previously authored the book Punk Rock and UFOs, True Believers, and Punk Rock and UFOs, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy. How fucking badass of a name is that? And in 2019, he released his first young adult fiction novel, Pumpkin Spice and Nothing Nice. I dig that name, too. <laughs> and the place where I came to be aware of his work is named after his books. It's his website, punkrockandufos.com. I tell you guys, please, please go and check it out. Give you a little elevator pitch on Mike. He previously worked for the Houston Chronicle as a copy editor, writer, reporter, and web producer for feature sports and news sections. He currently produces their Mike Music blog and has interviewed bands such as Bad Religion, uh, Blink 182. I think that's how you say it. Uh, I've never, never heard, heard of them. <laughs> Taking Back Sunday, Tom DeLong, of course, and, and them and Angel and Airwaves, uh, Aerosmith, Donald Glover, Alkaline Trio, and on and on and on. Also, because fuck the rest of us for being lazy, he currently teaches journalism, English, and creative writing and lives with his dog and wife in no particular order in Houston, Texas. <laughs> man, don't you hate like or love reading resumes? And I'm like, oh, man, that makes me feel so fucking lazy. Yeah, I know. I, we, we need to add. I'm just going to start adding things to my resume that aren't necessarily true. Okay, John Goforth Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a great one. I um, I, I really, I, I, I've always wanted to uh, uh, to learn archery. So I'm gonna I'm gonna add that I'm a a, um, a professional archer. Shit, son, I'm an archer, and just say it like that all the time. What do you do for a living? <laughs> Shit, son, I'm an archer. 
Who's ever going to ask you to prove it? Like no one has a bow in their back pocket. Funny you say oh, here, that. Let's see you fire this one off. Funny you say that. Drop the ring of fire. Here you go, sir. Your compound bow. What do you like? Eighty pound draw. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Foiled again. <laughs> oh man, I got a competition in two weeks. I don't want to. I don't. I'm working on my blisters on my fingers. I'm not gonna. Yeah, yeah. I and I mean my my rotator cuff and you know the uh, string and uh, the things. So reasons. <laughs> So, Brent, uh, when we come back, we are going to speak with the man of the hour himself, Mike DeMonte, to see what his thoughts are on the world of ufology and hear a little bit more about these books. Yes, that's coming up next. Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, that's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages yeah. was the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone, and we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So it's very high on pronunciation too. So (laughs) you can, you know, learn how to speak. And you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. (laughs) In that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's, they design it for long-term retention, you know, and uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do. And then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years and, there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and mm-hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value and you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused. Or really cool. <laughs> I have to go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use, and we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we want to do this long term, and uh, it's something that uh, it works, you know. And we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this, and this is this is the one that we've chosen, and we love it. So, all you guys got to do don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times, and it's always now, right now. Get now. started. For Larry, limited time, his Air 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. How much? 50%. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life. Wow. Redeem, redeem, redeem. How do they do it? Rashate, you're oh. 50% off. <laughs> Rashate. <laughs> redeem it. 50% off rosettastone.com slash today. Do it today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to him, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings 
directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Welcome back, everyone, from break. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. You know, slumming it here in, in not only are you, you, you virtually talking to us uh, in Chicago, you are in Illinois proper right now. You got as close as you could without oh, having wow. to Oh, wow, I didn't realize that. He's, is he, you're in the lower fourth? I am. I'm uh, three hours away from Brent-ish right now. So, so where, whereabouts in Illinois are you? In the middle of nowhere, like an hour outside of Peoria. Oh, nice. John used to live in Peoria way back in the day. So, yeah. <laughs> What's the old uh, Mark Twain quote about San Francisco? The longest uh, longest winter I ever I had was the summer I spent in San Francisco. It was like, <laughs> I don't know. There, there's some joke hidden in there about Peoria, but I, I yeah. anyway, yeah. I, I spent some time in Peoria. It was, uh, it's a, it's a river town. It's, it's okay. It's, it's a river town. It's full of barge ladies. It's fun. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Bar, it's a barge lady. <laughs> Isn't that what's on the river? Barges? I don't know. What the hell? Uh, I remember there was a, uh, I remember there was a strip club that I had never been to called Big Al's. Uh, and had never was, been to. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a, um, uh, 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 Joe's Crab Shack on the river. That's all I remember about Peoria. Well, there you go. That's, I mean, Mike's, uh, coming from the back store of Big Al's right now and, and, and you know, and talking to us. Yeah, yeah. Mike, welcome to the Illinois Hour. Thank you for joining <laughs> yeah. us. So, Mike, you're here because you got a new book coming out. And I got to say, because this is your, your third book on the topic. What the hell's wrong with you? No, I mean, what I mean is, how do you find yourself digging into UFOs and other 14 topics? What, what brought you here to this neck of the woods? So um, I'll, I'll do the, the second part of the question first. So, uh, I mean, as a kid, I was really into, um, you know, comic books and like science fiction and horror movies. Like all that really piqued my interest as a kid. So when I started reading like more non-fictional texts, like at a young age, my mom got me these time life books. And I was like subscription service. Of the unknown. Exactly. Yep. Those books. And, I celebrate um, the entire catalog. <laughs> so yeah, I get them and I would go through them. And I was like, you know, there's, there's something in here that there's, there's a truth to this somewhere. But at the same time, when I was a kid, it was able to hold my attention because it was just like the fictional things I was reading. So at an early age, I, I got into it, you know, um, and I never really stopped, you know, being into UFOs and like weird stuff. But then, um, flash forward years later, um, I was working full time at Eastern Chronicle. I was a copy editor there. I was driving home from uh, work one night. I saw some crazy orbs in the sky, and then 
next thing you know, I'm like jumping into this stuff like more full time in terms of like investigating and writing and doing my first book. Um, so that's how I, I got into it. Um, I was, I'm always into you know the, the weird stuff. So as a young kid, um, oh. but yet to, to answer this, the first part of your question, what is wrong with me? You know, the, <laughs> like the more you get into this stuff, it's 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 easy. I, I could see why people would want to walk away. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially because, like, I mean, the people have been doing this for like ten and fifteen years. And it's like, mm-hmm. like full time. It's like, man, how how do they do it? You know, like, how do they not get burnout? With the, you know, with the obviously fr- the frustration that comes with it. But then not only that, you know, being burned out just by being part of this community that's just so like, ah, just always at each other's throats, it seems like. Yeah, I think so, that's something that's lost to probably, you know, a lot of our listeners and things like that is they, they come and they listen to shows and they hear these topics, but they don't see the backside of it like we do, which the is the infighting and bickering and and name calling and non sharing of, of evidence and yeah. just anything you can think of, which like you said, is just exhausting. And to have people <laughs> like yourself who, who weed through these and put all this information together, it's worth your weight in gold sometimes, you know, because it's a thankless process. Very, very much. So it always reminds me of uh, when you hear comedians talk about the comedy industry, um, you know, and they, they talk about, they, they get so deep into like the business and what other comedians think of comedians. And it's like this uh, ugly underbelly that I really don't want to know about. I just want to hear, you know, Steve Martin and Conan O'Brien be funny. <laughs> I don't care about the, 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 the backhaul backstabbing, but it, it's like uh, hearing them talk about that reminds me of, of some of the things you guys are talking about in the, in the UFO world. But Mike, my question, you know, I, I, I thought it was, you, you, you mentioned something really interesting. I think this was in your foreword for your latest book, so correct me if I'm wrong there. But you, you basically uh, um, offered the premise that uh, you started out, when it comes to believing in God or a higher being or something else in religious texts, you started out as a complete atheist, and that, that Fordian topics have actually kind of brought you at least closer to, I don't know if agnostic, I don't want to put words in your mouth, agnostic or whatever. Uh, Brent and I have said before on this show, even though you know we're, we're certainly into all the topics we talk about, we also also believe in God and we happen to be Christians. And, and we, we don't talk a ton about religion on the show, but I thought yours was such an interesting take on how on how ufology and, and, and Fordian topics actually were a route to considering the greater universe. I'd love to hear you expand on that. No, that's a great question, and that's a great takeaway from it because it's like you know you can be Christian, you can be Hindu, you, you can be you know Muslim, and believe in in this stuff too. It's it's not one or one or another. You know, I grew up, I was raised Catholic, and then as soon as I got old enough, I realized this isn't for me, and then I was basically just agnostic my whole life. Uh, my mom's like super religious, so she thinks that I'm like an atheist, but it's like no, there's a difference between you know. Being atheist right. and agnostic, like I don't know, but you know, the more you read about these these topics, you know, there's something there. You know, what that is exactly, um, you know, we don't know. Um, so, but I think, uh, I think you know, ufology and just just in general. I mean, when you're reading about these 14 topics, like you were saying, you know, it just opens your mind up, and especially when you start reading about other cultures and other religions, and, and ultimately, everyone believes the same thing at the end of the day. Just you know, some of the characters and some of the stories change here and there. But, you get to it a different, yeah, different, I've heard different it, route. I, yeah, I've heard it described as different paths up the same mountain. Uh, I've always liked that analogy. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not religious at all, but I, I think there's definitely, you know, there's something to be said that there is a higher power. What is that? I don't know. Uh, my own belief is like, you know, 
God in heaven is maybe the universe, you know, but it's not like, you know, how we traditionally think of it in like a biblical sense. Maybe the universe acts like, like this God potentially. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Like that's just, you know, one of, one of, that's awesome. And it was definitely, you know, something you talked about and you, it was a, a through line in your book. But talking about, though, like, and how it pertains to the world. I mean, you're talking about ufology. It's a heck of a time to be into ufology with all that's going on, you know, in the world today. Before we dive, you know, too far in, you know, what are your thoughts on the world as it relates to that? It's been happening in the news with the DOD coming out and saying that the videos we've had for years are actually real and you know, the murmurs of articles coming out in different <laughs> newspapers and things like that. You know, what, what's your take on the, the, I guess, um, how ufology is going right now? Uh, yeah, I like to bring this up because, uh, I mean, I've only been in this for maybe six years, maybe. I mean, I've always been into it. I've only been like, you know, doing this for six years. And it's crazy to me because like the people who are doing it for a long time, um, they made a good point. I've, I've kind of uh, followed that lead that this is definitely the golden age to be in this stuff. If you think about it, with all you know, all the the stories that have been coming out and just the, the attention in mainstream and just you know, one of the things uh, in my book, one of my chapters, I'm interviewing all these uh, Hollywood executives, and you know, these shows are you know coming like crazy. And on the other end of that, I've, I've you know, I've shot TV pilots, I've you know, talked to other studios, and they're just constantly wanting to produce this content. So when you look at it you know, from the, the other side of the media, you'll get it from like the news and they're taking these stories seriously. You know, they're not jokes anymore. Um, Which is a, a refreshing thing because it wasn't always that way at all. Yeah, absolutely. Even, you know, in my experience, um, when I was at the Houston Chronicle, one day uh, I had, I debated the science writer over Bigfoot because they thought it would be like good, you know, good video. And uh, it was cool. But like at the end, one of the, the editors was walking around in like a, in a gorilla suit in the background to be like Bigfoot. And it was like kind of funny, but it's like yeah. we just had this serious conversation and this kind of, you know, uh, spoils it a little bit. So, yeah, yeah there's definitely been, been a shift. And I think a lot of that, you know, you have a big outlet and then other ones follow suit. But you also look at the authenticity of the people involved in these stories as well. You know, these people are heavily vetted before these stories even come out. So, right, right, right. yeah, definitely it's definitely the golden age to be into this stuff well one of the ways that people you know that directed me to you before i'd ever read your books is your blog your website punk rock and ufos how did that become a thing like when did you decide i'm going to do this and i'm going to do this seriously and I, you know even though outside of my work I, I want to be this guy um so i didn't really intend to you know do anything outside of just writing the book like i wrote my first book and my first book was okay. It's like really short because I'm a journalist. So I'm used to writing concise. So like you kind of learn, you know, from each book how to do better. Um, but I wrote my first book and I was like, okay, this is cool. I have a book out, whatever. And then people started booking me on their shows. And I was like, oh, wow, these people want to speak to me. Like, this is cool. Um, and then I thought, you know what, maybe I should do a website because if people are interested, maybe I can just, you know, if I never write another book, at least I can still write about this stuff online. So I created the website just to continue. Um, that and uh, the site, you know, I really started off as um, basically just a continuation. And maybe I wanted it to be more like featuring, you know, maybe I, I'll, I would feature some of the people who study this, you know, what are their stories? What are they into? Um, you know, you know, review some books and, you know, kind of more fun stuff, you know, more featuring. And then it eventually kind of was like, oh, wow, I can interview this person who's, you know, used to be in the CIA or this person who was a Princeton, was on top of the Princeton during the Tic Tac. I'm like, okay, well, here's some real stories I can do. And it's cool because like, I really don't get to do that anymore since I teach full time now. So like, yeah. 
you know, when I was at the Chronicle, I'd write about sports and music and occasionally do like a, a feature or news story. But at having to, you know, be able to do that again, it was a really cool opportunity and then something that's on my own. I don't have to answer to anyone but me. So that, that was fun. No doubt. And your new book going off of that same name, Punk Rock and UFOs, Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, and that's your third one. And I guess you'd call it your series of, you know, Punk Rock and UFOs. <laughs> and this book does a lot of looking at, um, I guess you say like truth and fiction and seeing where they overlap, so to speak. And you, you were talking about you talked to a lot of producers and Hollywood types and stuff like that. What can we learn from that overlap or, or what have you seen that, you know, how does that facilitate it in the world of, of, you know, ufology as opposed to what we're, we're exposed to from Hollywood and, and the trickle that it hap- you know, happens with it. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's something that people don't realize it's been a thing, you know, um, one of the quotes I got in the book, uh, Tom Belange gave, gave me an exclusive quote saying this is happening for 70 years. And it's like, you know, you think about it, it has, but a lot of people don't don't realize that because they're not, you know, as well versed in this topic as we are or some other people. So everyone just assumes there, there's fact and there's fiction and there's not that much overlap. But when you actually break it down, I mean, there's there's so much of it. And it's not like it's blurred on purpose. They just kind of borrow from each other. Um, so there's this like this relationship between the two. And the point of the book is for people to be able to start seeing that and picking that out. Like there's so much stuff in the book I didn't put because I wanted people to realize that on their own. Like, Right when quarantine started, my wife and I started rewatching all the Marvel movies, like from the beginning, rewatching from the end to the end. And I kept thinking, I was like, man, I could have put this in the book. I could have put this in the book. Oh, I should have put this in there. But I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, if somebody picks up the book, reads it, and then watch one of the movies and say, oh, wait a minute, I think I saw a news article about this, or I read something in history about this, and they can draw that connection themselves. So, Mike, you you mentioned uh, Tom DeLong. You 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 obviously the the title of your series is Punk Rock and UFOs. There's a certain punk rock or or some might say punk pop band uh whose lead singer has, has caused quite a stir in the in the ufo community over the last few years but actually you wrote your book prior to the ttsa even um uh forming so what uh, is is this a big coincidence are you a big believer in what delong's doing uh, uh, kind of square the whole ttsa thing for us as it relates to punk rock and ufos so Punk rock and UFOs, I mean, those are kind of two of my favorite things growing up. So I just kind of, the name was kind of a catchy thing. I don't know. It just kind of happened. Sure. Um, I mean, I've been this, a fan this of- show originally was called Tits and Aliens, so we get that completely, <laughs> but we, we changed it in season two. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, so, you know, I've been a fan of Blink my whole life. Blink was the kind of the, I mean, like a lot of kids, you know, you get hooked on punk rock through pop punk first. And uh, that was me. You know, I, I was moving in between you know, cities and I didn't have any friends. I was like a loner. And my friend at the time, the only friend I had in that town gave me a bunch of CDs and they were all like really early like emo stuff. And then there was like blank. And I was like, Oh, this is like so cool. I was like, and then I started like, well, what bands do they like? Oh, the send is bad religion. So that's like kind of your gateway into like punk rock, which a lot of right. punk rock to start with, especially people are my age, like in their, in their late thirties, they usually start with like the nineties and eighties stuff. And they work their way backwards. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, I've been a fan of Blink and like Tom's my whole life. So I've you know known about his alien obsession before a lot of the, the UFO people did. I'm just from following his career. And yeah. when I was at the Chronicle too, you know, I, I I interviewed the band and I covered you know them and that style of music. So I mean, it's all familiar to me. Um, regarding the to the star stuff, I think it's when it first came out it was really exciting. But I mean, I think I was you know even my first book, my second book when I mentioned them, like you know we still have to be somewhat skeptical. 
to see what exactly is going on. You know, I mentioned like, you know, who's being managed here, like what's going on. We still need to have that, um, that mindset. But I think, you know, now I think they've, they've really done a good job of, um, facilitating a lot of the stuff that we're seeing that's happening play out in the mainstream and with the Pentagon briefings. I mean, that's all them. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of UFO people who are just, you know, they want everything now, 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 and they're just, you know, they're impatient. They don't think they're doing enough. It's like, I mean, they, they've done quite a lot for a very small, even though everyone involved in them are, are very big people in terms of, you know, their careers and their backgrounds, it's still relatively a small company. So just even getting, like, you know, having the Pentagon to admit these are our, our, our videos, like that's a big win. So I think it's exciting to see what they have coming. It's just, you know, for, you know, for us, you know, who are into this stuff, we just have to be patient. There's only so much we can do other than just sit back and see, see what comes next. Well, I'm really good at armchair judging. So that's one of my, <laughs> I think, I think you see that all the time in, um, well, this and insert anything you want to say. It's easy to just say uh, you should be doing it differently when you're not a part of it. Yeah. You know. Well, and hell, Tom was saying it. Hey, what, what was the what was the song? Uh, Aliens exist, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he told you right there. Come on, guys. Actually, I have an Aliens exist tattoo on my leg. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. That's awesome. There was a passage I wanted to read. I I enjoyed it. Said in the book, you said there are books that do a better job than I can in terms of detailing ancient astronaut theories, dissecting mythology and civilizations, and dissecting folklore. Jacques Vallée's passage to Magonia is a brilliant study case that ties the UFO phenomenon to folklore. And Jeffrey Cripple's Mutants and Mystics digs deep into the paranormal origins that the creators of our science fiction and pop culture legends come from. So what we have here is an idea to try to normalize the paranormal. And I really like that. And you go on to say, I was once of the firm belief that science as we know it was the be all end all of every argument and all religion were mere fairy tales twisted to keep down the uneducated and opiate the masses. Now I've evolved to the idea that there is something there in religious texts. What that exactly is still is to be determined, and our traditional science is no longer the argument ender, as there are so many things our science simply cannot explain, control, or solve, so it is acceptable to open our minds to the possibilities. I really like that, and you, you kind of talked about the religious side of it, but that's something that people, and I'm one of them, and I know John is too, when science can't define it and you say, well, let's use the scientific method, a lot of people tune out. How do we get people to keep an open mind to look into this further? Because in Valet, who's, who's someone that has, he's on the Mount Rushmore of people that have, have studied this. And he'll even tell you, like, he's a scientist and he's like, there's so much that we just don't understand. How do we move that needle forward so people accept that? It's a, it's a great question. And uh, Chris Cogwell is going to eat me alive later over that, <laughs> over that comment. So it's, uh, <laughs> I'm prepping you. I'm prepping you. <laughs> so, no, um, you know, it's, it's weird because it's like, you know, when you have all these people with these academic backgrounds from science who, who are scientists and physicists and say, hey, you know, what? we can't explain this, then. I think more people need to look at that and say, you know what, maybe, you know, there, there are other avenues and there's other things to look at. One of the things that, you know, from just from reading, not even just UFO books, just other books through the years, you learn that, like, there's other things out there besides science that can explain stuff. There's humanities, there's literature, there's, uh, there, there's folklore, there's things you can pull from, and not everything has to come from science. And I think once people realize that, they say, oh, okay, just because, you know, we can't, you know, 
pull down a UFO from the sky and prove it's real. It doesn't mean it, it's fake. Um, well, you can't, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the goals from, you know, especially my, the past two books is to try to get people into this mindset that, Hey, open up your minds a little bit. Um, and, you know, start, you know, reading and for yourself and start trying to make these connections because, you know, if you go to like, so I'll give you an example. Uh, I went to Rice University in Houston probably maybe four or five months ago when I was finishing up the book. Uh, my friend is a professor there, Professor Kreibel. And uh, I was speaking to some of the students because I was doing a story on the archive they have there. And I mean, these are these are bright young, young, young students and they're all into humanities. They're all into mysticism. They're all expanding their mind. And I, just, I feel it's, it's really cool that the, the younger kids coming up are are exploring the, these avenues of studying just because it's, I mean, I feel like when I was in college and high school, like I never heard of that stuff or wasn't as, wasn't available you know, or, or wasn't available. Yeah. yeah. So now you're having these, these very, you know, these large universities, especially Rice University is very prestigious. It's very, you know, prim and proper the fact that they're having multiple courses, you know, regarding consciousness, humanities and uh, religious studies. I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, while we have you on the topic of research, obviously you've done a lot of research um, uh, writing your books. So I'm assuming you're you're pretty well well versed in in you know ufology lore and, and the various stories. I'm all, I'm always curious to ask folks this: What is your favorite? Um, and, and you can define favorite however you want. It doesn't necessarily mean it need to be the one you believe the most or whatever. But what's your favorite? What's your favorite UFO tale? Your favorite UFO story? You know, we cover so many of them on this show. Uh, that's hard. I mean, I always tell people I really like uh, the book "The Day After Roswell" uh, by Philip Corso because it feels like it's uh -huh. like if you're thinking of it like fictionally, it's like the sequel to Roswell. It's like, well, what happens next? Um, and when you read the book, it's written very well. It's almost reads like you're watching like this this government spy movie. Um, that's the way the book's written. But you know, it's allegedly you know uh, his story. And now for me, that's one of my favorite stories because it doesn't end at Roswell. You know. Yeah. And that's something um, I always like to tell people about, you know, when people are talking about how UFO stories are covered in the media. And I was like, you know what? A lot of times there's not a follow-up. But we're starting to see these follow-up stories. Even though now they're like the Pentagon UFO story, the New York Times did, it took about a year for them to do a follow-up. But there's still follow-ups. And that's an editorial thing. That's not like a reporter thing. But, you know, there are demand for these stories because these stories do so well for them online. So, um, yeah, Day After Roswell was really exciting for me. Um one of the stories I really like is uh, it's in this book called uh, Keepers of the Garden, which I reference in my book. I think it's a, it's a it's more of an obscure book, but it's just really fascinating. Um, this person has all these regression cases about UFOs and abductions and uh, life on other universes and planets, and it's just it's crazy to me. But it's also there's, there could be some truth there too. Um, yeah, those are some of my favorite off the top of my head uh, UFO stories. Very cool. You, you, you talk about the stories, and the, one of the things you asked in your book was, were films like Close Encounters and E.T. based on real events and used as part of like a slow acclimation or this idea of putting aliens to the public. Is that something that you think that, that the U.S. or the powers that be, whatever you deem the powers that be, has been? Um, doing or has a hand in, or is that just a you know um, a thought process that you're having that says it's a, this could be something? You know, it's weird because a lot of people I've interviewed have said yes, that's the case. You know, there's it's specifically been an effort to kind of push this idea of UFOs and aliens. So if the truth ever comes out there one day, we wouldn't be you know shocked. Mm -hmm. um, part of me believes that because I think there are some credible people who who have uh, 
who stood by that claim. Um, but I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it's ingrained in our pop culture, you know, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's been yeah. this way for, for years. I mean, look, there, there's an alien right behind you. It's, it's part of your logo, you know, yeah. um, you know, people, like bands have aliens on their merch. You know, you go to the, go to the grocery store, maybe there's a UFO on a, a donut. I don't know. It's like this, this is stuff you see all the time. Well, it's, 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 it's interesting that you say that too. And it's like this desensitization that we, we go through. And then when you have cases like the Tic Tac and you know, anything on that level that comes out, it was kind of shocking to me that outside of our circles, the people that saw that and went, yeah, okay. And really didn't pay that much attention um, and it makes me wonder, like, is the world ready for that truth or not? You know, whatever that truth might be, and how would it go over? You know, you I see stuff like that, and they they pay no attention. I go, yeah, and then I see quarantine and COVID and everything, and I go, no, no way, are we ready for anything? <laughs> so it's kind of a catch twenty two, and I just don't know. You know, if there is a truth, you know, do you think we'll ever see it? Will we? Will we? You know, are we just getting drip fed or, or do you think there will be some sort of disclosure in our lifetimes if they know what it is? Someone said, I forgot who it was. It may have been Joe Mergia. He may have said it on Twitter or UFO Jesus or one of those guys, one of these really smart dudes may have said this. He said the disclosure already came basically to the stars. His idea of disclosure was the Pentagon admitting that those videos are real. And I thought about it for a second. I'm like, you know what? If that was the disclosure, I mean, that's it's pretty big. If you think about it on, on the basis of, what it is um well i think you have to say that's the 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 biggest you know declaration of something like that that's ever happened of saying yeah, yeah this this is real yeah yeah absolutely there's an interesting parallel path to when you think through the concept of are are we being drip fed are we being slowly acclimated so that you know it's it's like getting used to the the temperature of the pool eventually you're just so used to it that when they dump water on you you don't you don't notice anymore that's I think that's kind of the the basic premise, but there's the parallel path there is that we've always been fascinated we as human beings with what's what's happening up in the heavens, and that you know Mike as you as you mentioned you know uh lots of of ancient texts, religious and non have pondered and wondered and had uh, uh stories you even mentioned in your book in your latest book Mike about how there are there are multiple stories from religious and non religious texts that that would be considered paranormal and so you know the the other question, I guess, the other path you could go down is: Have we always been "quote unquote" fed these stories? But in reality, it's just our human need to look into the heavens and and try to understand what's going on out there. Meaning, uh, this isn't a moment in time any more than there was a moment in time in the late eighteen hundreds when everybody was talking about UFOs. You know, they call them flaps. You know, uh, is this really a different moment in time than any other moment in time? I think the whole moment in timing is a great way to put it because we're living in a different moment of time. So how they saw things back then are different than we see things nowadays. And, um, you know, to them back then, that was life. You know, these, they didn't know any different. So that, that was things that they were seeing. Nowadays, we know them as UFOs or, uh, you know, cryptids, you know, these, these the things we see. So it's, it's fascinating because it's like so many things have changed since then. You know, our society is, is vastly different than it was back then. So, Obviously, the way we perceive things is going to be differently. So, yeah, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head by you know saying the moment in time because the moment time we're in is you know, drastically different. And one of the uh, quotes I think out of my book is saying how back then people wouldn't see these things as paranormal; it was just normal to them. <laughs> That's life. 
Right, right. Yeah, because what is what is paranormal when everything is odd? You know? <laughs> well, right. And so you're looking at these things, and we're talking about things that might be odd. And and one of the, some of the things you're talking in your book, you know, we talk about fairy tales and you know things that are hidden that remain of interest. Yeah, hollow earth theory and wormholes and parallel universes and other dimensions and you know certain people might be able to see these and certain can't. Sometimes they oh, call well, them, Brent, Brent, Brent. Hollow Earth's a fact. We were there. That's right. I apologize for that. Uh, Okay. These people might be called enlightened, as you say, you know, that are these people operating like gods or are they magic or things like that? Do they have different brains or DNA? I mean, there's all these 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 concepts you talk about. If these things are past our scientific understanding, like we've talked about and you talk about in the show, how do you vet them? Should we vet them? Is there an ideal process or do you think that we should just be archivists collecting all this information for the future? You know, and is it wrong to, in your view, to try to prove or disprove things the best of our abilities, if especially if it's beyond our understanding right now of science? It's a great question. I think, you know, we know that people have tried to prove some of these things. They tested them. Uh, your Yeller was tested by the CIA. You know, they, they ran all those experiments and just because it hasn't been made readily to the public doesn't mean it didn't happen nor, you know, it's, it's false. So, you know, it's, it, to me, it's interesting that governments around the world have at least tested the, tested these theories out. They didn't dismiss them. They said, Hey, you know what? This guy says he can, you know, bend a fork with his mind. Let's see what he can do. So right there, we know that some of our, uh, our leaders are at least open to these ideas um, just because it hasn't been really pushed or mainstream to the public. And I think that's, you know, I think part of the problem is, you know, they're really not, you know, it's, it's secretive, obviously, because they, they think there, there may be some potential, you know, security issues or whatever is associated with it. But um, I think if more people knew that these things existed before, you know, it wouldn't be such a hard pill to swallow. Like yeah. uh, I mentioned in my book, Stranger Things, like uh, Montauk was a real place. You know, whether you believe everything that happened there, you know, uh, happened or not, um, you know, if a kid, you know, picks up, uh, Stranger Things watches it and they watch the documentary on that, they'll say, oh, wow, this is something, this is based off something. So, you know, throughout time, people have believed in the possibilities of these, you know, supernatural or these, you know, quote-unquote paranormal abilities and, and stuff. So, yeah, people have always believed it. Just, you know, like you said, how do we get over that hump to get everybody to do it? And I think that's ultimately, you know, the, the, you know, if let's say, you know, this book became a... New York Times bestseller, you know, like a million people read it. Not going to happen. But let's just say, you know, the, you mean when that happens? <laughs> but let's just say that happened, and and the the mass takeaway from that was, hey, you know what? These things could be real. I'm going to look into it myself. Or, you know, the paranormal isn't that weird to begin with. And I think you know you're kind of going somewhere. And I mean, us as a community, you know, we're, we're making strides in that. One note: uh, Stranger Things really should have stayed closer to the source text because. I wanted an electric Sasquatch and true. I did not get that is an electric very Sasquatch. <laughs> and it's funny. I'm not even a stranger things fan. Like a lot of my friends are and like, how, how don't you, well, how come you don't like this? You should love it. I'm just like, I've seen it before. You know, I've seen it in the eighties and nineties, like multiple times. It's, uh, it's so good. I just don't like, I'm not, I just don't watch it. No, I get but, it. I mean, well, you know, it is it is all about how it's presented to us and if people will swallow it. And it's one thing like you talked about with with TTSA and, and being, you know, keeping their information close to them and 
another thing you talked about is Skinwalker Ranch in your book and, and, um, and how arrogant it is to laugh at topics like Skinwalker Ranch and how it really hurts the great understanding of things like that. And I think Skinwalker is a little bit of a difference now because the people that are there have their TV show and stuff. But before you had a company working on it and keeping those quote unquote secrets. And I think sometimes that breeds a little bit of not animosity. It might be animosity or it could be, you know, insert whatever you want. Cause people want, want think like, well, I want to be part of it. Why do you not get to be a part of it? Why do you get to know? And I'm not on the inside. And I think that's a plague of, of ufology um, to this day is um, me, me, me and people feeling left out sometimes. And so I think books like this are important because it gives everyone this, this look at what's really going on and saying, Hey, there's a big picture, a bigger picture. And we need to listen to everyone instead of making up your mind that I'm in camp A, but camp B and C can go to hell because they're never going to be right, so to speak. Absolutely. And I think it's a great point because, you know, we're, you know, like we're mostly probably running outside of a lot of these things and studies. But if we were on the inside, we'd be thinking differently. You know, if we were involved in the NIDS investigation or Skinwalker Ranch, we would understand, you know, hey, look, not everyone gets to be part of this club. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that's great because, like, I mean, look, everyone has professional jealousy. Like that's, you know, everyone has egos. Those are, those are things that are going to happen, but it's like, you can't discredit a study or an organization just because you're not a part of it. Um, and I think that's, that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people, you know? And it's just like, well, this organization or this study is operating this way because that's how they're operated. You don't know, you know, what, what they're allowed to say, what they're allowed to do. So that doesn't mean that, you know, you're privy to this information or you're privy to any of their procedures just because you want to be. I think that's an important thing, you know, and um, it's easy to get lost in that. And I know I do. And, yeah. and most people do sometimes when you're doing a book like this, how do you approach doing a task like this? A book is a huge undertaking and this is not your first go around. What's your process for getting all this information and doing it? Do you have like a, well, I've done it so many times now, this is my way. Or do you kind of just feel things out and, and see how it comes together? So it's a good question. Cause it's like, for me, it doesn't feel like the writing portion is not the undertaking. It's everything associated with it. When I wrote my first two books, my first two books are relatively brief. Uh, there's concision in it. Cause like I said, I'm used to writing like a journalist, but you learn like, Hey, when you're doing a book, you need to sometimes, don't just get to the point, you know, you kind of have to build a little bit more towards that. So, you know, you learn as a writer, like, you know, this book's my longest book. It's about 200 pages. It's not super long, but it's still a, for 200 pages, I think it's an easy read for most people. Um, but for me, when I'm writing, like, kind of you go in with a clear idea, you know, this is what I want it to be. And then a lot of times it just kind of snowballs from there, you know, from the people you talk to and the avenues you go down and what are you reading and what you're studying at the time, it all kind of comes together. The hardest part, you know, this is a good advice to any aspiring authors. I think the hardest part is finding a home um, for the book. And luckily, um, Shannon LeGrow and uh, Jeff Hopp for uh, Beyond the Fray Publishing wanted to do it. And I was stoked because I think all the books are putting out are really cool. Um, I love the first book they put out, the Beyond the Fray Bigfoot one. Um, I told Shannon after I read that, I was like, hey, you need to talk to Seth Breedlove and make this into like a TV show. It'd be like the coolest thing ever. Like each each week would be like a new, like, you know, um, a new recreation of, of these people's uh, sightings. I think that'd be really cool. But yeah, it's like, the, you know, the hardest part is I'm not a patient person. So like, <laughs> yeah. you, have, you have the book done. I'm like, all right, come on, let's get it out. But like, you know, that's the, the, all the processes that are associated with it. All creative processes have this huge hurry up and wait uh, factor to them that is just... Yeah. Oh my God, is it so anger, angering you know, sometimes? 
with. Mike, while we're still talking about process, I think one of the, you know, for the listeners at home who haven't read your, your, any of your books, um, and basically they know what they're hearing today and they know the title, uh, other than our encouragement to go check them out. I, I what would you like, what is the, um, the through line or the ba- the, the lens through which you're viewing? I mean, you're, you're taking research, you're, you're going over stories that mostly, you know, people are familiar with, but you're, you're, you're obviously casting in a new light and through your own lens, what is your, your lens or your, uh, uh, your, the place for your, your truth? My approach is I want somebody to pick this book up that, um, or any of my books who are interested in this topic or not, and they can still read it. Um, so I try to write in a way that's not too, um, not the, dev- not, not divisive. That's not the word. I'm. I'm looking for, but like, for example, in this book, I, I wanted to use a lot more current pop culture things as well as more current UFO events. So someone say, Oh, Hey, I saw the tic tac thing on the news and they're reading the book. Oh, wow. This is from the witness. Then later on, they're reading something in the book about Thor. And like, Oh yeah, I know Thor. He was in the Avengers. So it's like, I kind of want the lens to be where it's written, where uh, a college kid could pick it up and read it. Um, someone who's in academia could pick it up and read it. Or like I teach, so one of my high school kids could pick it up and read it and say, "Hey, this is interesting." So it, the approach is try to be as mass appeal as I can, but with not alienating any of the UFO people at the same time. I think that's really important because when you're looking at cases like you're looking at this that are newer and important, it is important to look at the older cases and stuff. You know, we, we we've talked about a lot of them, and it is important to keep that in mind. But you're not going to probably learn a lot of new information off of most of them. So I think it is important to in inject these new cases and studies and get new people thinking about those. Otherwise it's just people regurgitating the same things over and over and over again. Well, and, and Mike that, that Brent, thanks for you kind of clarified what I was, what I was asking. Like what you, you, you're right. There's not new information to bring to a lot of these. It's just organizing the information in different manners. And with your voice, I was just, I, I was curious if you, if you could crystallize what, you know, kind of your, uh, what the elevator pitch would be uh, for folks like, so they understand like, Oh, well I'm going to go t- read his take on it because he takes it from this, uh, this point of view. Oh, that's tough. That's a tough one, John. Um, so basically I would describe it as um, looking for answers and truths in the weirdest places. Um, I, and that's something I just came up with off the top of my head. That's not something I, like I that. ever <laughs> I thought like of, it. but it's, it's looking at it from perspective I mean, there's obviously, because my background, there's like the journalism angle, but there's also the open-mindedness of of myself because of the stuff I'm into outside of that too. So it's like you're looking at it from, I'm trying to look at it you know, from two different approaches. But yeah, the ultimate goal is trying to find some truth or common ground or commonality with like weird stuff. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Towards the end of it, you said, you know, this being my third book under the punk rock and UFOs moniker, it feels like a trilogy coming to the end. Are you moving on from this genre uh, with your writing or, you know, um, have you decided that's the case or will you be coming back to this or where, where are you at in your head on the, this whole UFO uh, landscape? So that's a good, that's a good question. Cause like when you're writing, like, I don't know, I, I can't speak for every writer or every journalist when they write, like sometimes you'll write something and you're like, Ooh, this is good. Mm-hmm. Then like, you'll go back and read it later. And you're like, yeah, it's okay. Or I should have done that. My feeling when I finish this book is I wanted to be like, if this is the last book I ever write on this subject, I'd be happy with it. Yeah. Okay. So that was my attitude when I finished. I'm like, you know what? I'm really happy with everything I did in this book. And if I was to never do another UFO book again, I'd be cool with it. 
and uh, content with that. I'm not saying I'm never going to write about this topic again, um, but it's like I think I like the first all three books kind of serve a purpose. So off the top of my head, unless something crazy happens in the next couple of years, I don't know what else I can write about. So you talked about this earlier about older cases. Yeah. You know, how, how you know, are we going to beat to death all these older cases? You know, are we going to move forward? Yeah. How many times can we talk about Area 51 and Roswell and, and Rendlesham? Like, I really think you could do a new take on Barney and Betty Hill. Space Herpes, the book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, man, but, it's a huge undertaking. Yeah. So but that's, that's my mindset because like with everything going on, it's just not just in the world, but with like, you know, uh, the stuff that we like to study, it's like, there's only so much you can write at this point. So I wanted to yeah. put something that was different from what's out. Um, for the majority, like I said, I referenced two other books that are similar, uh, Jaffa LA, Passport to Magonia, and uh, Mutants and Mystics by Jeffrey Prypel. Those are influences to this book. Um, I think I, I think what I did is more of a modern, modernized, um, mass appeal take to the, those kind of themes that they touched upon. Well, I think that's important because that's something that a lot of books in this genre, because I read a lot of them, are missing. And, um, it's something I know Ryan Sprague has done where he's like went through and he's like, these are your entry books. These are your intermediate books. These are your, your, um, <laughs> advanced, so to speak. But even a lot of the entry books are not page turners. And that's something as yours is an enjoyable read. And that's something that you can't, um, you can't teach that. It's, it's hard. Well, I, maybe you can, maybe you can, you're a teacher, but, uh, you know, that's, that's something <laughs> that, uh, is not easily uh, achieved. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that because when I, when I read good books, I have the same thing where it's like, you don't want to put it down. You know, you, you don't feel like you're reading it just to finish it. You're like, okay, what's coming next chapter, even like for fictional books too. Like, you know, like when a chapter ends on like that little, that little cliffhanger and like what you, you want to stop, you know, you want to, you want to stop reading, but you want to keep going on. Right. So like, I think I, I appreciate that. The fact that you, know, you kind of got that from this book, that it's something that, you know, you're not going to get bored with. At least there's going to be something, um, a new approach to some of these older ideas. There's always something. Yeah, real quick about you yourself. You said that, that you had an experience when you were younger. What was that? Can you say that that yeah, shot so, you down so, this road? Yeah. So I saw the traditional orb, um, you know, the colored orbs going in like crazy directions and then disappearing. And uh, and I just remember going home, writing about it on like Facebook, and thinking people are going to think I was crazy, but other people saw it too. And the more like I've you know I've interviewed people and people report their sightings to me and I've reported on sightings and you realize how common these are and even like so about two summers ago uh, here in Illinois mm-hmm. uh, my my wife well she's my wife now she's my girlfriend at the time we, we took the the boat tour um, in downtown Chicago on the lake yeah the architectural boat tour yes yes love it so one of my fa- the thing I tell everyone to do when they come to the city and a beautiful night and. Uh, they're like, holy shit. I, I was like, on my phone playing and they, they all said they saw something in the sky, like her and her friends. And they said it was like this light orb and it moved about crazy. At first, I thought they were messing. Uh, but then I, I talked to other people on the boat too. And they're like, yeah, we saw it too. And I'm like, oh, wow. So I did a story on it. Um, and then months later, uh, somebody co- uh, reached out to me on, via my website, said, hey, I was on a flight. Um, that night flying over Lake Michigan, going home to, I think they're going to Detroit, and they saw the same thing. So wow. it just goes to show you how common these occurrences are. Like, here I am, I'm into this stuff. I have my head down for two seconds and I miss a UFO. Like, <laughs> like how crazy that. is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. 
Man. Well, Mike, uh, um, I, uh, <laughs> this is probably an anticlimactic question, but we like to ask it of guests, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Do aliens exist, and have they been here? Uh, yes and yes. That is my belief. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Cool. What's next? An anticlimactic answer. <laughs> <laughs> What's next for you? Any idea? Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, the website obviously is still going to be, a, you know, be up and, you know, uh, do stories. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's weird. Like when you put out a book, you know, obviously my attention is promoting the book right now. And if any other stories come up, I'll, I'll do so because I mean, there's other stories right now in ufology that other people are handling. And for me, when I do stories, for the most part, I like to do something that's original for the most part. Like I like to do my own reporting or uh, something, my own take. Like it's, it's hard. It's hard for me. I used to have to do a lot of aggregating as a journalist when I worked on the website at the Houston Chronicle, and I hated doing it. I was like, just let me go do my own thing, yeah. you know? But like, a lot of people are really good at it. A lot of people who in, in ufology nowadays, like they do the work for so many of us where their websites and their blogs just lay it all oh out. Oh my so- God, yes. It's amazing how everything's at your fingertips, you know, in yeah, one way or another that wasn't just of, you know, they've come old BBS sites and, and other yeah. sources and it's just all together. And combing through it is sometimes not the easiest thing in the world, but it's there for you. And that's, that's such a huge benefit. That speaks volumes to the work. Some of these guys do, you know, of some of these websites like, uh, uh, Joe Mergia's website, his work right now on the, uh, the Wilson documents is like insane. He's been doing when, it for, when he, he plugging away on that like crazy. Absolutely. And like the amount of work is I'm reading that and I'm thinking if I was to do this, how long it would take? Because he's not only just transcribing, he's also transcribing audios and interviews. Like and like Danny Silva too, a silver. He does a lot of that work too. And that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But it, for us, it makes it so much easier because all we have to do is just, you know, they're putting in all the legwork and the hard work and we just have to read it. Yep. Um, but yeah, regarding uh the Wilson document stuff, like I saw those documents months ago. It was called something else. It was called um, Forbidden Poseidon when uh, Giuliano Markovich kind of wrote it up. And even his work, I was like, man, this is a lot of work to like put all these pieces together. And so, you know, there's a lot of people doing good things, um, you know, and sometimes you have to be selective of what you do. I remember months ago, about a year ago, I passed up on a story just because I was, I didn't have enough of the facts. It's not that I didn't believe that, the person on the audio recording was who they said they were. Uh, I was like, you know, what? I don't want to put this out there because I have all the facts. And also, like, this is like dealing with some like scary stuff. So maybe I don't want the uh, men in black at my door. <laughs> well, I've always said that the uh, the best work I've ever done is the work I don't have to do. <laughs> Actually, I, I haven't said that at all. But I made that's it weird because I've always said the best work you've done is the work you didn't do. Also, so that 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 matches, <laughs> well. Well, Mike, Mike, thank you so much for being on with us. And, you know, we will, we'll send everyone to your site, but it's punk rock and UFOs and there'll be links in the description. So make sure you read that and you can find those on our website. Thank you so much for spending your time. And I know that central Illinois is a hot happening place. So for you to even pry away for an hour to spend time with us in, in lowly, lowly podcast land, it, it means a lot. <laughs> Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. Like I said, it's my first time being on, um, so I'd love to come back again in the we, future. We will anytime great. you want. In fact, you can replace John if you'd like. That's fine. <laughs> you know, he's offered that to so many people, and yet here yeah, I say No it. one says yes. I don't know how here I feel I about that. And what does that say about you, Brent? I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, Nation. When we come back, we talk about Mike without him on the horn. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
That's next on Hysteria 51. And we are back. So, Brent, now we get to talk shit about the person a, since he's not with us anymore. What a fucking loser, man. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm still oh, here. Oh, no, still Mike here. was awesome. I, I apologize. <laughs> I forgot who hung up. Shit. Oh, no, that, you know what? It is refreshing, too. And I, I said this to him, but I really meant it. Like, it's, it's nice to read a book that doesn't read, like, stereo instructions talking about some of these things. It, it's what, you know, I hate to make this comparison because it's not this. It's very different. But, um, you know, a brief history of time, you know, things like that, where they're trying to take layman's terms and put it. It's not what it is, but this is a very, very enjoyable. You can pick it up and not know a lot about this and just breeze through it and read it and enjoy this book. Yeah. And I, you know, I also like that he's not coming out swinging with uh, this is exactly the truth. I know it. And here are the the five facts that back it up that I've been able to, uh, you know, dig out of various places to contextually fit my argument. So uh, he's different than us. He's just is what you're saying. Thank Robo Christ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's just, you know, it's a nice narrative. He's, he's pulling out some, some quotes from different places and some stories from different places. And, it, it 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 gets your mind a wandering, and and there's nothing wrong yeah, with that the, whatsoever. One of the big takeaways too that are, you know when you do read this is it, one of the things I really like is how much he talks about. You know, I don't want to say pop culture, but just things that we have and stories in the past, and how that they can fit these narratives of uh, ufology and folklore, and how things that we we are exposed to are ingrained from these ancient stories and ancient astronaut theories and things like that. Uh, that was kind of an, an interesting thing that he really breaks down that you don't even realize how, what's going on with that. Certainly the tr- listen, if there's any truth to aliens having visited this planet and if there's any truth to that having happened for a while, obviously stories from our past could be riddled with the, the those writers' interpretations of that, you know. I've always thought I've, I've always thought it was interesting looking at mythology, like forgetting UFOs for a second, but like looking at mythology as like people's way at the time of uh, explaining something they didn't they couldn't find explainable, yeah. or didn't really didn't really know how to explain whether that's an animal from a different part of the world that they had never seen, could it be, um, or. Uh, like I, I, everyone pans this movie so bad, but uh, the movie, uh, the movie Noah. Oh God! Um, I, I, I well, go ahead. Forget the movie for a second, Brent. Uh, like the that you hated or whatever. But like, how interesting is it that there's like these animals that we've never beans that we've never seen or or understood that existed in the beginning of the of the movie? Now you can take for what those, whatever you believe those to be. But it's like, well, they could have been wiped out by the flood or they could have been something else. But like there's just I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot to history that we don't necessarily uh, understand or at least in folklore that we don't understand. So I think, you know, exploring these are fun thought experiments to to explore where things might have fucking problem, though, if you let me buy the chronovisor at the Vatican gift shop like I wanted to do. But no, we couldn't have a room for it in the backpack. So. Well, I, okay, okay. Let's be let's be clear. It said Chrono Wiser. There was a W, not a V. Hey. And listen, every time I've bought a, every time I've bought a Stolex, Christian Lager. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm, that's holy frick. I, I just I got to tell you when they when they switch one letter on you, the, the quality of what you get home just isn't the same. I, I feel like you might have you know ripped a hole in space time or or put an eye out. One of the two. Why not both? Uh, so how's it feel, conspiracy about to not be uh, invited on when we have guests talking because you're rude? All meat sacks sound the same, dumb. So I am good with it. Plus, it gave me time to make a drink <laughs> for himself and no one else. So that's that's safe. Yeah. Yeah. Where's mine? Well, hey, where's speaking mine? of uh, drinks and partying and rock and roll and shit like that, we got some music for tonight because we can do an episode on punk rock and UFOs without having a band that sings rock music all about UFOs. Majungus. Majungus is yeah, back. Yeah, we got Trappist One, a badass track coming for you. But before that, John, when people want to find out how to get a hold of Mike DeMonte, they want to get a hold of us, where can they go? Go to Hysteria Nation. It's our Facebook discussion group. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation. Yep. And you can also find we have a Facebook page. We have a Patreon page. We have merch. We got all sorts of stuff. You can find links to everything at Hysteria51.com or GoFopedia.com. That is our website. And while you're uh, logging into that website, tell a friend about it. Tell them to listen to the show. Tell them all about punk rock and UFOs. Tell them how much Majungus rocks with Trappist One. That's the song coming up. Uh, what's your takeaway, John? What are you reading next since we're done with punk rock and UFOs? Oh, man. I don't know. I've got a couple of different graphic novels I picked up. I'm, I'm, uh, I picked up the actual Spider-Verse graphic novel I might go back to. I also picked up the uh, the original Battle Angel Alita oh, nice. novel, yeah. which uh, uh, I really want to get get to. But I, I guess uh, in, in the non-graphic novel world, uh, I'll probably get to the book of our next guest okay. or, or our soon-to-be guest. Yeah. Uh, Devolution by Max Brooks Woo! is going to be uh, Max is going to be joining the Max show. Max's dad actually, Mel Brooks just had his ninety fourth birthday a couple days ago. How awesome is that? You know, it's funny. I was just on Dueling Decades, and the other guest was Rhonda Shear, and she talked about of everything she's done, her little one line in Spaceballs is like what people remember her the first the most. She's at the diner at the end. Hello, my baby. Hello, my, you know that one. She's yeah, yeah, one yeah. that's like, like, what can I get you? I have the Luna fish. <laughs> like, she's just one of the patrons there, and that's it. And people remember her. She's in a skin tight dress, so that doesn't hurt. But yeah, she's like, that's what everyone remi- reminds me of. Much like on your on your gravestone, Brent, uh, there's just going to be one word hyphenated speed buggy. <laughs> you can't, hey, you can't, you can't mess with perfection. So that's the way it goes. But yeah. Max Brooks, I'm excited, and I was a huge World War Z. Uh, I love the book. It's one of the only books I've read like four times. I just I loved it. So very excited. We're we're on an author. It's also here. one of the only four books you've read. Well, yeah, you know. well, it's how I learned to read. <laughs> Phonics really helped with that. So yeah. Anyway, that's been Mike Demonte, punk rock and UFOs, stranger than fiction. With that said, I've been Brent. I've been John, and this is Majungus. Yeah.
Stay woke meat sacks. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite, join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.